Dear valued clients and friends, welcome to this week's Dividend Cafe podcast. I could actually practically skip this week's market commentary to talk about Michael Phelps. That's how much I've enjoyed watching this first week of the Olympics and particularly the incredible story of this dominant athlete. In a year where the election has taken so much energy and joy out of me at times, these Olympic Games have been the embodiment of patriotism and a commitment to excellence that I love. Speaking of the election, we got a visit this week at our offices from Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, who is running for re-election there. He came and talked to a group of us about the election, the economy, national security, and other issues. And it, it was fun. We, we learned a lot from candidates and from thought leaders on all sides of the aisle, different perspectives. And this week was certainly no exception. So from Phelps to Rubio to the conclusion of earnings season, let's get into it. By way of executive summary this week, markets rallied pretty big on Thursday behind a big move up in oil prices and strong results from some key department store retailers. Number two, Chinese yuan depreciation is the story that died this year. The press quit talking about it. Too many investors have let it go but we feel the need to keep watching. Number three, oil is suddenly on a tear and markets have come up with it, up about 12% from where it was just a week ago. Number four, it is harder to find good companies that are able to sustain and grow their dividends in an environment like the one we're in now. Number five, Gold is being bought by speculators, not users of the product, not central banks. And there is some relevance in that we'll get into later. In the news this week, there's not been a lot of data to look at the sentiment in the UK economy since Brexit passed. But this week we got some July data and not only were retail sales 1.9% higher this July than last year, but it was the highest monthly total they've had in six months. Uh, both presidential candidates announced economic plan agendas this week. Markets didn't respond as there was little or, or, or really kind of no unexpected information, very little new information. Uh, the polls are widening for a Hillary Clinton victory in November. Of course, there's still a few months to go. In our core breakdown, China, both imports and exports, fell more than expected in July. The exchange reserves fell to $3.2 trillion, which is what was expected, but again, it's still declining. Is further weakening of the yuan on the horizon? Well, let's look at the yuan to the dollar over last year. I put a chart in DividendCafe.com this week, and I want you to look at it if you get a chance to see this correlation between when the S&P 500 is dropped and when the yuan is dropped dramatically. It's a great indicator of global risk off. And we saw it last August, we saw it at the January drop, and then we saw it post Brexit for a few days last month. Moving on to oil, uh, crude hit $39 a week ago. It closed in the 43.50 range today. Um, our view continues to be that while we do not want to take a direct position in the commodity price itself, uh, we recognize it directionally does have impact on the overall state of risk markets, both in cause and effect. But the reason is up for debate about the drop from just above $50 to just below $40. 
and it did not seem to have the same impact these last few weeks that it did across risk markets uh, back in January and February. We believe that it was more speculation driven and that market actors are more aware that it is unlikely to stay down for long. As we've discussed in the last few weeks, the contagious effect of declining oil prices, if there were one, would show up in high yield bond spreads. The exact opposite has been the case in recent weeks. Recession Watch, the jobs report from July, not only caused a big rally in markets last Friday, but it reinforced the basic theory that the U.S. economy is not in recession and has enough octane to stay in positive growth for the second half of 2016. Average hourly wages are now up 2.6% year over year as well. Our guess is that there's virtually no chance of a rate hike in September. Yes, that is because of the election in our opinion. But December, we'd say, is maybe 50-50. As far as earnings go, 90% of the S&P 500 has now reported their second quarter results. 71% of companies have beaten in earnings expectations, and 53% have beaten in revenue expectations. We don't believe earnings will continue to drop quarter over quarter to the extent that almost all of the earnings decline we've seen over the last year has been relegated to low energy prices and uh, low and the strengthening dollar, which is now kind of reversed. So we, we think that that has probably come to an end. Um, as far as the election goes, we're primarily looking for threats to the market in terms of potential congressional shifts for the next few months, senatorial composition. Our projection is, is still at this point that the GOP will keep the House, but the Senate is up for grabs. Uh, polls are indicating some GOP incumbent Senate seats are more vulnerable than they were a couple weeks ago. A few questions from readers this week. What exactly is the situation in Italy this fall and what do we need to know about it? Italy is not holding a vote to exit the European Union as Britain did, but rather they're voting on a referendum to change their own constitution. The issue to watch is if this reform bill does not pass, the present leadership in Italy has said they will step down. The replacement party has said they do want to hold a vote on leaving the European Union. The polls on this uh, reform bill are quite close right now. We're a couple steps away from anything happening here, but can we say there's no scenario by which Italy would leave the EU? No, we can't, but it's hardly imminent and we do think it's unlikely. How this situation plays out will either heighten volatility in the Eurozone or it could perhaps reduce it, depending on how things play out. Uh, one reader asked, if the election results are going to be terrible for the market, should I go to all cash now? And despite what we've already written about the kind of non-event for markets, we expect the election results to be, um, we, we still uh, want to reinforce um, trying to time an exit, going to cash, around a, 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 a what do you let's call it an event driven risk like an election is a great way to blow up one's financial well-being it never seems to work no one ever gets the exit timing right and much more importantly they don't get the re-entry timing right the answer is to mitigate fears over volatility with asset allocation but understand this reality of the markets they are always and forever discounting mechanisms pricing in today what they believe about tomorrow. 
Final question, what has hurt hedge funds the most this year? That's a pretty easy answer. It's shorts. Hedge funds don't generally carry equal to market risk. They often bet against various securities, meaning go short uh, to theoretically lower risk or try to exploit an opportunity. But what shorts could have made money this year? If you thought interest rates were going up and or at least wanted to hedge against it, they not only didn't go up, they collapsed further, which pushed bond prices higher. Globally low interest rates have pushed asset price valuations around the globe higher. It's been a tough road for investment strategies that try to reduce market risk. We haven't gone into recession. We haven't entered a bear market. Many investors bemoaning hedge funds during times like this may sing a different tune during the next sustained market distress. Um, we would encourage you to go to DividendCafe.com and read our article we posted about what Michael Phelps can teach you about absolute return investing. It was a, a fun article to write, and we think there's a really uh, easy-to-understand investment principle in there this week. The bull in us this week wants to remind you that when someone says, do you like India or do you like Brazil, they better be talking about the weather or the food because you just cannot invest in a country as a whole, especially with emerging markets. With hundreds of illiquid companies, different accounting and regulatory frameworks, and totally different impacts from currency, etc. What we like are operating companies with higher return on invested capital, higher return on equity, higher pricing power. We find these companies all over the world and that, and that is what we like about investing in emerging markets. That's the way we want our clients to think about our bullish view on emerging uh, equity investing. The bear in us this week, we are frequently told that gold goes higher because central banks such as China and India are buying more and more of it, presumably because they know something we don't know and we ought to follow suit. Well, we're agnostic and we'll continue to be so about whether or not gold will go higher or lower. But we're anything but agnostic about what actually drives its price. It's speculation, period. That speculation may result in higher prices, may result in lower prices. But it's untrue that gold moves because of central bank buying, let alone central bank irresponsibility. We saw a 40% drop from 2013 to 2015 in gold. And I don't think those years will go down as the golden years of central bank responsibility. The chart tells us where extra buying has come from in 2016. And here I reference a chart that we posted on the web showing where uh, rising gold demand has come from, all in the investment category, actually declining demand from central banks, from jewelry, and from technology. Switching gears outside the world of investments, uh, many of our clients, of course, uh, are known to be building or remodeling, designing new homes or, or, or current homes. And feel free to reach out to us anytime about some of our relationships in the uh, general contracting and interior design space. It's another concierge service that we have some strong connections to, particularly in Orange County, California. We'd love to help you with should uh, you be interested. We do post a chart in our uh, DividendCafe.com referencing the investable universe of companies and the kind of ratio of total debt to total equity and how much it's increased in the last couple of years, making the point that a lot of companies growing a dividend right now or paying a good dividend 
could very well be in jeopardy of a dividend cut in, in more different times. You have a lot of increase of dividend payment out of S&P 500 companies. The problem is that that increases the pool of companies susceptible uh, to cutting a dividend, to having unsustainable dividend price action. This is what we work to avoid. It's why we think times like this make it more important for that kind of active management. Our quote of the week, there are two types of economists, those who don't know and those who don't know that they don't know. That, of course, from the famous John Kenneth Galbraith. We're going to be trying a new format next week for our written DividendCafe.com. Please do look at it. Tell us what you think. Also, give us feedback on this podcast anytime you like. We really want to get it right. We want to deliver you in any format you prefer it, the right kind of content to help you grow as an investor and, and become more understanding of what the Bonson Group is doing on your behalf. We appreciate your feedback. I'm going to leave it there for the week. Please have a wonderful weekend. Thank you for listening to the DividendCafe.com podcast.